Thank you, Kate. Very beautiful. <clears throat> I was 25 
years old when I was hired as the minister of Chatham Christian Church. Now I'm 65. That means for 40 years I've been recognized as the minister of Chatham Christian Church. Now, I'm not into titles, and it's no secret that I disdain the title of reverend. Um, I realize it's used as a title of respect, but to revere someone is to not only respect them, but to venerate them, and to venerate is to worship. Obviously, no man is to be worshipped. I also hesitate to use the title pastor because it gives the impression I'm the overseer, the pastor, the shepherd of the flock. Now, I am a pastor, but I'm not the only pastor, the only shepherd of our flock. The elders and Steve are pastors and shepherds, as are our teachers and youth sponsors and anyone else who takes on the responsibility of providing spiritual guidance to others. So I've settled for the title of minister. It doesn't seem to be as exalted as reverend or even pastor, coming from the word for servant. At least I didn't think it reflected an exalted position until I told a couple of Arab falconers I was a minister and they assumed I was a high-ranking government official. <laughs> you know, referring to me as a preacher avoids that misunderstanding, but in our society, we generally think of preachers as legalistic pulpit pounders. It seems that whatever term is used to identify someone in ministry is open for misunderstanding. But minister is better than most, so you can refer to me as your minister if you want to. However, calling me the minister of Chatham Christian Church should not give anyone the impression that I'm the only one ministering at Chatham Christian Church. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's no way one minister can meet all the needs in a church, nor can a staff of ministers, or even 12 apostles. Now, the church is the body of Christ on earth. And as Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, a body has many parts. And unless all the parts are doing what they've been designed and gifted to do, the body cannot function as God intends. If one part of the body tries to do everything, much that needs to be done will go undone. So I may be known as the minister of Chatham Christian Church, but no church can be an effective body of Christ if the minister is the only one ministering. Unfortunately, that's not the case here. Neither was it the case in Acts 6. At least, it wasn't 
once it was realized that the apostles couldn't do it all. That others had to share in the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. That the church, in fact, had more than one ministry, requiring more than one minister, so it could produce more than one result. Let's see how the church came to understand this. Continuing in our study in the book of Acts, we're in the sixth chapter this morning. Acts 6, verses 1 and 2. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. All too often, the way we discover the need for a ministry in the church is through a complaint. Something isn't being done, or someone is being overlooked. And that's what happened here. The church in Jerusalem was only a few months old by this time, but she already had several thousand members. 3,000 Jews became Christians on the day of Pentecost alone. Before long, their number had grown to 5,000 men, plus women and children. And then Luke quit giving numbers, saying only that multitudes of men and women were constantly added to the number. By now, there were probably at least 20,000 believers in Jerusalem. And all of them were of Jewish background. You see, Gentiles weren't welcomed into the church until Peter's vision led him to Cornelius and Paul was commissioned as apostle to the Gentiles. So for now, everyone in the church was of Jewish origin. But the Jews in Jerusalem were divided into two classes. Those who grew up in Palestine and could speak Hebrew and those who grew up elsewhere and could only speak Greek. As you might guess, those who could speak Hebrew were considered first-class Israelites. And the Greek-speaking Jews were considered second-class Israelites. Now, those distinctions and prejudices, sad to say, didn't disappear when people became Christian. Before long, a complaint arose in the church. The Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jews felt like their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, whether it was true or not, they felt like the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting preferential treatment. Now, this was obviously a criticism against the apostles because money given to the church was laid at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as any had need. At least, they tried to. But the church was getting too large for them to micromanage. They couldn't personally oversee every aspect of the ministry, and they knew it. So rather than get defensive and say, we're doing the best we can, or ignore the criticism and hope it would go away, they sought to address it. They called the church together, probably not all 20,000, but at least representatives of the various factions in the church 
and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, they weren't saying they were too good to serve tables, that benevolent work was beneath them, only that they couldn't do everything that needed to be done. They had been equipped and commissioned to teach and preach the word. So that had to be their first priority. Again, they were not saying one job was more important than another in the church, only that there were a variety of ministries that needed to be performed within the context of the church. And since there are more than one ministry, there needs to be more than one minister. Verses 3 through 6. But select from yourself, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The solution was to get some help. Not just more people to ladle soup, but others to be responsible for the ministry of serving food. Now again, this was not because serving food was beneath the apostles. They no doubt enjoyed visiting with the widows and seeing to it that their needs were met. But if all their time was spent doing that, they would not have time to study and pray and prepare lessons and sermons for the congregation. Their primary ministry was related to teaching and preaching. And in order to do that effectively, they needed time in the study. So the congregation was asked to select seven trusted, godly, and wise men who they could put in charge of the ministry to the widows. How they were selected, we aren't told. We don't know if they simply asked for volunteers, sought out those who had complained and offered them a chance to do something about the problem, or had an election. The only stipulation that the apostles put on it was that those chosen had to be men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. Why they specified seven, we don't know. It may have come from a tradition in the Jewish synagogues, or it may have simply been the number needed to do the job. But whatever their reason and however it was done, the church came up with seven men. And it's very interesting that all seven had Greek names. It's as if the church intentionally sought out those who may have felt slighted and said, we will entrust our widows to you. These they brought before the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. Now, why they laid their hands on them, we we can't be sure. It may have been a simple blessing. It could have been a commission, like Moses laying his hands on uh, Joshua. 
It could have been an act of identification, like laying hands on a lamb before it's sacrificed. It may have been a formal ordination, like we did for Chris last week. It may have been the impartation of gifts. We know that the apostles were able to give spiritual gifts to others through the laying on of hands. Or it may have been all of these things. We really don't know. What we do know is that the apostles gave them the responsibility and the authority to do the work that needed to be done. They were set apart for the work of ministry to serve in the church. Now, we generally regard these seven men as the first deacons in the church. The word deacon comes from the same word for minister or servant. And while they aren't actually called deacons here, they were set apart to serve as ministers or servants as deacons in the church. And we do know that individuals were officially recognized as deacons in the early church because Paul spelled out the qualifications for such, along with the qualifications for elders. He also referred to Phoebe as a servant, a deaconess in the church at Sancria. So it's not presumptuous to refer to these seven as the first deacons. They were men set apart for a specific ministry in the church. A ministry that differed from the primary ministry of the apostles, but a ministry nonetheless. And there are many ministries in the church. Many places of service that need to be filled by men and women of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. Obviously, I wouldn't be able to spend the time I do in study and preparation for teaching and preaching if we didn't have a shared ministry at Chatham Christian Church. We have elders who share the responsibility of oversight and decision-making as well as shepherding. We have Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, and youth sponsors who are directly involved in the ministry of the word. And while we seldom refer to them as deacons, we have a host of people who have formally or informally accepted the responsibility of overseeing specific needs in our church family. From the nursery and we worship, to the library and the kitchen, to the handling of finances, the scheduling of greeters and ushers and accompanists, selecting music and leading our praise team, preparing videos and training volunteers to present them, manning the soundboard, mowing grass, preparing communion. There are all kinds of ministries going on in the church. If we tried to name everyone, we'd be here all day. We have a church that ministers. And there are many other things than what I've mentioned that are always being done behind the scenes that enable us to minister effectively as a body of Christ. And I'm sure that there are things we aren't doing that need to be done and things that could be done better. 
Perhaps we need some to complain, lovingly and graciously, of course. So we can identify the needs and address them. And then, of course, we'll need to find individuals of good reputation who are full of the Spirit and wisdom to whom we can entrust the ministries that are identified, as well as a host of individuals who will simply assist those who accept the responsibility of making sure those needs are met. We are in this together. And ministering together, we can accomplish all that God sets before us. Serving together, we can have results not unlike those experienced in the early church. Verse 7. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Because the apostles were free to preach and teach, the word of God kept spreading. Not that they were the only ones teaching. Stephen and Philip, as we'll soon see, did more than just serve tables. What they learned at the apostles' feet, they taught to others, and the word of God kept spreading. That's the way it's supposed to work. You know, when I preach a sermon, I hope that's not the end of it. I'm not just preaching to share a sermon with you. I want you to share what you learn with others. And if you do, the word of God will keep on spreading. We want the word to spread. And those who are serving as deacons in the church aren't doing so just to get a job done. You know, to get the grass cut, or the bills paid, or the babies taken care of. They're doing what they do so the number of disciples will continue to increase at home and abroad. And if we all put our faith to work, finding ways to be of service to Christ and to one another in the church, others will become obedient to the faith. Even some who, like the priests of old, might have a basic understanding of the things of God but need to see the body of Christ in action before they will really put their faith into practice. If we want Chatham Christian Church to be a dynamic force for the kingdom, every one of us must get involved in the ministry of Chatham Christian Church. We all need to work together to make certain that the word of God is faithfully proclaimed in our pulpit and classrooms. And that the various needs of our body are met by servants, deacons who understand that what they're doing is not just a job that needs to be done. What they are doing will result in the word of God spreading, the number of disciples increasing, and Christians becoming even more obedient to the faith. We have 
a shared ministry at Chatham Christian Church. And you need to be doing your share. If you've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, your master has a job for you to do. If you don't know what it is, look around and find a need that's not being met and then let it be known that you are willing to meet it. I invited you to complain. Marilyn said, ooh, you're going to hear from that today. I'm also making clear if you complain, that may be an opportunity for you to get busy meeting a need in the church. We are in this together. Obviously, it's been a great privilege and continues to be a great privilege to be known as the minister of Chatham Christian Church. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what God has done throughout the years through us. And I pray that, that you have a sense of identity with the body that causes you to say, God, what is it you want me to do in the church? Not that everything you do for the kingdom centers around Chatham Christian Church. You, you minister as a disciple of Christ in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your families, wherever you are. And I acknowledge that and I thank you for that. That's what we're called to do. When we come together for equipping, we're not just here to equip you to work in the church, in this church. We're hoping we're equipping you to minister in the world. We also have needs here in the body. And I invite you to be a part of that. I invite you to seek out a ministry that will help us be more effective doing what God has called us to do. I invite you to make public your desire to commit to Christ and to his body, the church, this morning. If a decision needs to be made, now's the time to make it. Let's stand.